Hello, and welcome to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. My name is Jamie Edwards, and I'm a full-time professional endurance coach, age group triathlete, and triathlon fan. The Diary of an Age Grouper podcast is all about content relevant to age groupers. We'll talk to athletes, coaches, and experts who walk the walk. On this episode of The Diary of an Age Grouper, we talk to newly crowned Ironman world champion, Jessica Jones-Lasley. Jessica is a mum of four, wife, triathlon coach, and a very accomplished athlete. We talk about her interesting backstory in triathlon, the journey to Kona, and the race itself. This is The Diary of an Age Grouper. Jessica, thanks for being here, and welcome to The Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm well, thank you. Now, just back from Kona, how was the big island this year? Uh, it was, it was, it delivered, it was warm and, and windy and fun. Good. And, uh, you came away with an Ironman age group world championship. So congratulations. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, we were just talking off air before we hit record that you have been to Kona twice last year and this year. So how was the difference between, um, last year and this year with the split world champs for the first time in 2023? Uh, I felt like from a racing dynamic, uh, since it was a women's only day, I I guess there were a few age group men that started behind us. uh, The race itself didn't feel entirely different from that perspective, like the number of racers on the course, et cetera. We were, my age group was the last wave this year, and that definitely played out differently on the day. But the actual day itself didn't feel that much different. Um, However, the lead up just felt so much less busy than a year ago. And it felt, um, there was definitely a different vibe and a different energy. I really enjoyed it. I, I don't have years and years of experience at Kona, so I don't have a good perspective as you know versus other years but I I really enjoyed it I I I thought it it went really well yeah that that's interesting thanks for your take on that so before we get into talking about your qualification for Kona and the journey to the start line and then the race itself can you tell us a little bit about life away from triathlon Yeah. So I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, I have a whole gaggle of children. Uh, We have a 20 year old and twin 16 year olds and a five year old. So uh, super, super busy in the home front. Um, My husband uh, owns the local bike shop. So we're very embedded in the cycling community. And on top of it, I'm, I'm also a coach. So life out of tra- outside of training is, is pretty busy. Um, you know, I actually like it that way. I, I find that I, I do better in an environment that's, um, there's not a lot of thinking to it. You just have to execute because you don't have time otherwise. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely ha- have many hats. 
yeah, definitely very busy and the epitome of an age grouper training for triathlon. So tell us a little bit about your background in the sport. Yeah. So I, um, grew up running, I ran in college, uh, but I also knew that I wanted to get in triathlon, uh, when I graduated college, I have a little bit of a swim background, um, as well. And so I thought it was just kind of the natural progression to get a bike and, and start, um, racing triathlon, of course. And I did that early on. I graduated college in the year 2000 and, uh, had some success as an amateur athlete. And back then it kind of felt like that you either raced ITU distance if you were a pro or, or Ironman. And I was in the army. Uh, I went to West Point was in the army and I knew that racing Ironman was just not in the cards for me yet with the op tempo of what was going on in the world. So um, as an amateur athlete, when I turned pro, I had just been accepted to the Olympic Training Center um, and the Army World Class Athlete Program. So I started off in this ITU, and I was not very good at it. I did, I didn't have the swim <laughs> background to be successful at ITU. And like I said, you see, like you did ITU or you did Ironman. Um, so shortly after I was in this program, I discovered I was pregnant with the twins and to date myself, how far we've come in women and sports, I was actually kicked out of the training center. So, (laughs) so, I mean, you know, it's a big deal that now we've had a women's only, uh, Ironman day, you know, cause this was a, a time when, it was like, okay, you're 28 years old. You're having twins. You're, you're done with the sport. So I, 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 like I said, I got kicked out and around this time, this is now two, 2006, uh, that I was kicked out. I had my twins early 2007. Uh, now I've got my pro card. I've raced a couple pro ITU races had not very much success, uh, to put it nicely. And it was like, okay, now what? Well, right around then the 70.3 distance had had a world championship and was, you know, really making waves. I don't know if that's the right term, but it was becoming more popular. Came onto the and scene. so I thought, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I mean, there had been a few half Ironmans up until then, but they had not coined this 70.3 distance. And, uh, so I decided, you know, I think that would be good for me because it's not so swim dominant. I have this running background. Uh, I seem to be a fairly decent cyclist. So I, I got into the 70.3 distance, uh, when my twins got a little bit older and I had some early success in that, in that distance and race uh, professionally, primarily in the 70.3 dis- distance. Now this is like 2010, uh, early 2012, 13. Then I got into the Ironman distance for a little while and then, uh, raced my last one in 2017 and then had my, our youngest in, in 2018. 
And that was pretty much the end of that pro career and uh, had no expectations to ever race again until Ironman Tulsa was announced. And that's my hometown. So I kind of thought it was this serendipitous sign. So figured, why not? I'll jump in just to, just to race here, essentially. And, you know, then never say never, because next thing I know, I'm at Kona racing, racing five years later. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks for that background. So the reason I, I find that interesting is we do hear of athletes sort of climb, climbing through the age group ranks or racing professionally from the outset. But um, I think it's rarer to hear from people who have raced professionally and then gone back to age group racing. But as you just said, you you sort of your intention was that you were done with the sport, and then uh, yeah, from uh, a divine intervention, there's a, a race that lures you in, being in your hometown, and and um, end up qualifying for Kona. So let's carry that on and and talk about that race in Tulsa. Obviously, it went well. We qual- qualified for Kona. So when when is Tulsa? Um, um, were you always going to take that slot if you qualified? And then tell us a little bit about how long we had between Tulsa and racing on the big island. Yeah, I feel like last year was a dress rehearsal. I I raced Tulsa uh, and I was supposed to race it in 2021. And it was the year that it was quite big because there wasn't a lot of racing and all of the pros were here. So in 2021, I crashed seven weeks out training on the course, ended up breaking my scapula so I was out. So, you know, I ra- so of course 2020 didn't happen. 2021 I crashed. 2022 uh I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to go race Tulsa. I I wasn't sure if I'd take my spot. I did. Uh had a calf injury going into Kona 2022 and going into the race I really didn't think I would be able to finish. So I exceeded my expectation. I ended up coming in fourth and I kind of had this attitude, well, maybe I'll do it one more time coming into this race healthy just to see what I can do. So 2023, now I have the momentum of I've raced a couple of these after having this very long break, five year break. So now it's 2023. Uh, I raced Tulsa and 2023 in May, it went really well, uh, better than I, I feel like I nailed everything I could have nailed for my age, kind of where I am in life. I had a a fantastic race, uh, super healthy, no injuries, no illnesses. And I get to Kona and I'm fitter. I feel than I was for Kona. I'm sorry for Tulsa in 2023. And the week of the race, I kind of start getting that trickle in my throat and I'm looking at my whoop scores and they're not great. They're not terrible, but they're not great. Not where I expected to be. I I expected to kind of be firing in all cylinders very much like I had before Tulsa. And, you know, I, I will say that I'm super thankful I pulled off the day that I did because while I didn't feel horrible on the day, I didn't feel fantastic. And then like within 36 hours, I was in really, really bad shape, like very, very sick. So I'm looking back and realizing I was fighting something, some sort of sickness. And 
got through the race and then just felt absolutely horrible uh, and ended up my whole family got sick. I'm sure you can, <laughs> you know how that goes. Yeah. Well, um, so obviously people don't know, but we've been trying for a couple of weeks to, to tee this chat up. So, uh, and part, part of the right. reason for that is both families have been through the wars a little bit with, with illness. So yes, I, I know what that's like. Right. So, uh, so in preparation for, for, I feel like, like this question has gone, I've gone really long winded, but I feel like preparation was fantastic, but then kind of got hit with a little bit of bad luck four days out. Uh, so I think the reason I had ended up still having a solid day is a testament to the training that I'd put in from Kona 2022 on. Yeah, that makes sense. It's just layering on the the preparation for yeah 2022 qualifying and going to the race and then having a really good preparation for Tulsa in May this Tulsa, year and yeah. then a really really great block leading into Kona itself and then you just your body just managed to hold on and, and squeeze out a really good performance. So let's talk more about the specifics of the block leading into Kona. So you're qualified, you've got really good momentum, you're feeling really fit. So how do you um, set up a race block? Was it just the bridge between Tulsa and Kona and that whole thing was Kona prep or do you like to do an eight, eight week block, 10 week block? Tell us a little bit about, about how you, how you yeah, tackle. That's a good, great question. You know, like you said, you don't hear much from pros and then they race amateur. And I think number one, there's probably more opportunities to race now uh, for everyone. And I wasn't a pro that got to, I always had children as a pro mm. and I didn't have necessarily the support and networking that uh, pro mothers have now. Not to say that I wasn't proud of the races that I did. I, I am very proud, but I didn't uh, travel a lot. I didn't get to race a lot. Just the structure of, um, my life didn't really support it. But one thing I will say that's vastly different is now I'm 45 and kind of the height of my pro career. It was 10 years ago. And I could race Ironmans a month apart. That's just simply I can't do that anymore. Part of it is my body just doesn't recover like that. And then also just so many other obligations really impede recovery, right? And so it's, it's, it's both. And so after Tulsa, I made the mistake last year of trying to kind of really capitalize and roll on this fitness. And that's how I ended up with this sort of little calf niggle. And so this year I was like, fully committed. I'm not going to make that mistake again, which meant just less training and especially on, on the running. And fortunately I have a, uh, a run background that I can kind of get away with la less running. So I decided that after Tulsa, I would do very light work until after our family holiday, which is 4th of July. 
So I'm doing very light training uh, up until that point. And then after July 4th, when I came home, that's when I kind of got more into uh, specific training. And I like to do two to three, three week builds of, uh, um, for me, I need to be swimming four to five days a week versus I think like as a coach, I prescribe more like three days of swimming for my athletes. Whereas I found that that doesn't quite work for me. Like I lose the feel of the water very, very quickly. While I don't necessarily go fast anymore or as fast as I used to, I still want to come out of the water feeling strong. And for me to do that, it's four to five days of swimming. It's four to five days of, of riding and just three days of running. Cause that's kind of my sweet spot where I don't get injured. So it's a little light on the running. It's a little heavier on the swimming and cycling. Uh, so that's how I approached it. And it would be three two to three week builds and then a week uh, super light. And that was pretty much my approach all the way to Kona building upon that. Okay. So w when you talk about doing lighter training from Tulsa through to the family holiday in 4th of July, what, what does, what uh -huh. does lighter training looking look like? Is it, is it lower frequency? Is it lower overall hours? Is it you know, just about general health and fitness? Um, just tell us a little bit about it, that. It, it, it's, it's both. It's, it's, I'm swimming, uh, just three days a week, which for me is light mm -hmm. and that swims, uh, usually 3000, maybe 4,000. Whereas mm -hmm. typically I'll swim 4,000 a session. And so I'm going from like 18 to 20,000 yards a week to about 12 to 14 and then cycling i'm going from you know when i'm in a heavier phase of training four to five days a week to three to four and less less amount of time like i usually my long rides tend to be about five hours my long rides will be maybe three and a half and with with my cycling team here in tulsa so uh, it looks differently there. And then, of, of course, running wise, it's like in my long ride, I don't run. I'm sorry. I only get up to about 14 miles. I won't run more than, say, six during that time. Yep. Okay. Got it. And so you only, only three days a week. Yep. Cool. So you, you're sort of in a bit of a maintenance and a holding pattern and then exactly three exactly. months out from the race is where you kind of pull the trigger and you've got the three month very specific block your frequency goes up therefore your volume goes up and you like to work exactly on a two to three week build into a one week recovery or yes yeah you know, lighter week to absorb the road okay cool so um can you take us now inside uh one of these build weeks so you know you know big maybe your biggest week, just because it, it sounds impressive, but your big week of Monday through to uh, Sunday um, and walking sure. through your, what type of sessions you're doing across swim, bike and run and, and how you fit, sure. how you fit all that in. Sure. And I'll have to preface this with, I don't think any week of my training looks entirely impressive. It's just that I am able to roll it week in, week out 
which is something I will say that I probably really struggled with, let's say 15 years ago. Uh, just that having, that's the, I think that that's being able of years to accrue a certain amount of training volume. So a week for me build, I always have Monday and Fridays just swim. I found that like that keeps me out of trouble because it's a certain amount of just allowing my body to rest and recover before the bigger weekend of training. So, so Monday is just a super easy chill swim and that's three to 4,000. Um, Tuesday, I, I swim Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. And then when it's a bigger week, I'll do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are a variation of maybe something a little bit harder and quicker. And then Friday is kind of a kind of more like threshold sets. So, and those are all three to 5,000 to try to hit 18 to 20,000 for the week of swimming. And uh, Tuesday is a shorter, easier uh, ride. Wednesday, I have this ride here in Tulsa called the Wednesday night ride. And that's a very intense hour and a half to hour 45 ride. It's kind of, it's, we have a huge cycling community in Tulsa. There'll be upwards of 300 people that will go out and do this ride broken into different groups. So this ride is, is, is a very intense ride. And that kind of substitutes for me probably some of the higher VO2 or threshold work that I would be doing if I were on my own. Thursday tends to be a more steady state if I ride. And that's a, like two to three hours. And then Saturday is a my long ride. Um, I typically in the past would do a long brick, but I'm so concerned about getting injured because I am injury prone that I have, I, before Kona, I, I did all but one brick going into, to Kona just to tr try to keep me out of trouble. And then Sunday is a long run. And then just depending on how my week plays out, I'll typically run Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, but not off the bike for me leading into Kona because I was so anal about not getting this calf injury again. Yep. So yeah, you, a couple of things in there that, you know, you're just trying to make sure you can be consistent over time. So you're able to back up you know, these build weeks repeatedly over the course of your race specific block. And then you're yeah, really, and not for, really, really taking your time away from running. <clears throat> right. And for me, because I have this run background, like this is not something I would prescribe to my athletes. You know, one thing that I found was I, I couldn't run two days in a row without possibly jeopardize getting injured. Right. So and I know that it sounds, it's, so for me, it's like, I, I'm not doing intervals. I'm not doing anything fancy, but 
this is what I found works for me. And fortunately, like in Ironman, I'm not ever running faster than 7.30, really. So I'm not super concerned at this point with my age going out and running much faster than that. Like I'll run, maybe I'll dip into just under seven minutes uh, for like 20 minute intervals, but very rarely. So for me, I found what works for me is just consistent, uninterrupted running over a long period of time. And I can still run pretty well with that. Yeah. So in your three runs a week, you're obviously running quite a controlled pace. Um, yes. So seven, you know, seven thirty per mile would be your sort of race intensity. Um, so yeah, what- that would be my sweet sweet spot where I don't get injured and I can do it for a long period of time and not jeopardize that. And you say your long runs up to fourteen miles. What are the two two midweek runs? Uh, I because I'm running less frequency. I'm running usually between seven to 10 miles for those runs. And like I said, like this is not something I would have prescribed for my own athletes. They would be running more frequently and less, less on those kind of mid runs. Uh, It's just how I had to structure for me to stay out of trouble. Yep. Yeah, that works. And then you're four to five times a week. How how long is your long ride? Did you? I think you said it was five hours. So what what are uh, the other yes. rides? You got you got a five hour ride, a two to three hour ride, your hard an Wednesday hour night a, ride. Yeah, that's an hour and a half to two hours, just depending on like the uh, how much light we have, and then the other ones are like uh, are an hour to to two and a half hours, and those are kind of more moderate rides. Okay, so you're getting maybe ten to fourteen hours a week, depending on how long those rides are. So, what what's your total? Yep. Total hours per week. Do you do you know what that looks like? I th- I would yeah. So I a, a big week for me is twenty twenty one hours, and I think an average week is is more like eighteen to nineteen, and then an easy week's like twelve to fourteen. All right, cool. So still still quite consistent, um, and you know, yeah, you're banking. You're banking three months of back-to-back weeks like this. What about, um, do you include any strength training in your weekly structure? I do. I do. I I do uh, three to four. It usually ends up being about 30 minutes. You know, earlier, like in that time between Tulsa and that family vacation in, in July, I'm lifting a lot more, like lifting heavier weights. Uh, but beyond that, uh, it's more very specific soleus, gastroc work. I really focus on the gleep mead and stabilizers and less heavier lifting in that three months leading into Kona. Yeah, that makes sense. And now tell us, do you do any heat preparation work? And as part of that question, how how long before the race did you travel over to the Big Island? That's a great question. Tulsa gets very hot. Uh, so, and it's, and it's pretty humid here and it's very windy. So for us, we're like living in a Kona plus environment all through the summer. 
and actually from May on, I would say. So for me, I don't do any heat specific training. In fact, here in Tulsa, we're starting our rides as early as possible to try to get out of the extreme heat because we had a record high temperatures this summer. It was regularly over 100 degrees in the month of August. So I'm not sitting in a sauna. I'm not doing any of that because I'm, I mean, like walking to my car is, is a chore <laughs> in the heat. So I, I, I felt like I was good on that front. It did get a little bit tricky because with, with Kona being pushed back a week, it started to get cooler here. So like my very last ride, I was actually in arm warmers and knee warmers. Whereas last year I felt like it was perfect timing. Like it stayed warm. And then we went to Kona. It got cool right as we left. Now I don't think that jeopardized my heat training at all for me and my family, it just isn't going to work that I get there. Uh, I see some amateurs getting there three weeks out, two weeks early. That's just not going to work with um, my family and my husband's business. So I, I got, I came on a Tuesday and raced on Saturday for Kona. Yeah. Nice. And if it, what's the time time zone change for you how many hours different it, it's it's five out it's five hours and I will say la last year I got there one day earlier and I felt like I was getting antsy and ready to race so that's why I came an hour shorter and I actually got a little bit concerned about that but I was fine race day timing wise I just stay on central time when I get to Kona which means I'm getting up 3, 4 a.m., which is when I would be up to eat anyway on race day. So I just stay stay close as close to central time zone when I travel there. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that makes that sense. I guess you got to get up early on race day. So that kind of that exactly. works, in your, works it, in your favor. Exactly. Okay, uh, before we talk about the race itself, is there anything else that is of note for you in terms of managing your training, like you mentioned, you've got, uh, you use a whoop. Like, is there anything else you do to maximize your, co yeah, your recovery? And, and that I kind of use, thing? I, I use the, I think my biggest limiter, even when I was a pro is the recovery aspect. You know, I'm not training and kicking my heels up. Woohoo. I get to recover the rest of the day. That's just, I, <laughs> I not wish that would be one. Yeah, that's not the reality. It wasn't my real reality as a pro. And like I said, I think that was a, like objectively speaking, you know, I didn't have whoop back then, but that is a huge limiter, especially for a pro, especially for, for an age grouper. So for me, it's like really paying attention to what helps my recovery. And for me, I, I know what those specifically, I can get into that if you want. Um, I think every person's a little bit different, but you know, for me, it really is, uh, making sure I cool my core temperature through like either cold shower or hopping in some sort of cold bath. Uh, for me, it's not eating past a certain time. I am super lame and I essentially go to sleep when 
our youngest does. Uh, I really, really have to maximize my sleep because I don't get the rest during the day that maybe someone without kids or that trains full times able to. Um, I'm sure you can understand that. <laughs> yep. And so, so for me, it's it's really, really making sure I'm getting all the sleep, which I am pretty good at and I've actually always been good at that because I have to be and uh I will say this because I think it's worth noting so my daughter went to pre-k last year here in Oklahoma school starts in August and I always have a giant boost in fitness and uh recover a lot better starting from August on and that really started last year and it's the biggest difference is my daughter went from kind of like a little mother's day out three days a week to school full time five days a week last August and so that has freed up a, a little more time during the day to actually like have a moment and reset so I don't train as much as I as I did you know, when I was professional, but that's a conscious choice on my end. So that while she's in school, I have one to two hours potentially to kind of rest, watch TV, you know, like truly have the moment to during the day to kind of collect myself before I go and get her. And then it's, you know, time being with her for the you know what I mean and, and yeah, then yeah. of course I have the, these other children that I also need to while they're way more independent than they were you know five years ago they still need their mother yeah. so um sorry I, I just think that's worth noting especially for for mothers and fathers of very young children that when they go to school five days a week, it does, it, it is for me, if it's not so much a physical reprieve, it's definitely an emotional reprieve. And yeah. that has, that's a hugely impactful, positive impact on my training because I am actually able to recover more. Yeah, and the and the big difference that you've noticed is that when she's gone to school full time, which was August last year, you have yes. uh, noticed that. And obviously, that's been a there's been a full, well, over twelve yes. months now of, of that, which has um, yes. cert certainly helped. Um, have you noticed that in in uh, you know if you looked pre August last year and then post August last year last year, have you noticed like that in the numbers in the whoop, or is it just kind of that feeling through the day? And as you said, more of that emotional no, reprieve. Oh, no, like it, it, that's what's fascinating about whoop. So I started using whoop, and I feel like I should be sponsored by whoop because I I believe in it so much. I got it in 2021 after my crash, just noticing. Just on my Wahoo, my resting heart rate was majorly elevated. And I was so surprised how much that injury took out of me. 
And so I decided that I wanted something to metric metrically, you know, I, I had a strong suspicion of what was impacting my training, but I couldn't metrically like point to it and say, yes, this is absolutely contributing positively or negatively to my recovery and my ability to train. And, and so leading into Tulsa 2021, 2022, my daughter is young and is only in school, a little preschool, three days a week for four hours. And I can tell you when she went to school five days a week and I was able to spread out my training load a little bit more and actually not feel so overwhelmed going from training to training and actually able to like go home and take a 30 minute nap instead of like, oh, I have 30 minutes, I better run because I'm gonna have my three-year-old here and she's full on and I'm gonna be chasing her and there's absolutely no way I'm gonna be able to get this training done, right? So I would try to really cram this training in to now I can spread it out a little bit more because I have more time because now she's in school 7.15 to 2.15. And while that doesn't seem a lot like a lot, I think parents can appreciate that's a lot more than when they're under four or five years old and you're just with them all the time. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So do you... um. Do you use any other gadgets or any anything else to talk about in, in terms of your your, your wearables or, or gadgets before we uh, get into talking well, about Kona? Uh, you know, I use I use I use I have got I mean, for to supplement. I'm sorry to kind of guide my training, but Whoop is all I use in terms of more. It's like really focused on the recovery aspect. Yeah. All right. Cool. That, well, that that, that, yeah, that makes, makes sense. sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, um, you arrived to Kona on the Tuesday before the race. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh-huh. that you didn't feel great. You weren't jumping out of your skin like you were for Tulsa earlier in the in the year. Right. So, can you can yeah. you walk us through uh, race day now? Um, you know, from when you get up and you know swim, bike, and run. How how the race unfolded, uh, the racing dynamics, managing the the heat, all all of the things that come with a with sure, a race day and sure. on, and uh, yeah, just walk us through it. So I I think I uh, so I was the very last wave. So the first wave of women with of course the pros they went off at I want to say like six twenty or six twenty five something in there, and then I believe the first wave of amateurs. Um, yes, the first wave of age group women was women 35 to 39, I believe they went off at 640. And then we went, we didn't go off until 720. So I wanted to be careful. Like I've never had that. I've never gone to a race and had to wait an entire hour after the first women went. And so that is kind of tricky because backtrack to when I'm going to eat versus when transition is going to close. 
going to have to sit around. That was kind of new, new for me. So I knew that was an, an element that I was going to have to manage. So I went ahead and got up and I wanted to sleep as long as possible. Like I said, sleep has the most positive impact on my training. So in my recoveries or it, and of course my proxy racing. So I tried to sleep as long as possible, got up, had my coffee, got, did some light, like, um, rolling, stretching, and then got in the car. I st- We stayed out in Waikoloa this year versus closer to the race start. So we knew we'd have a bit of a drive. So we loaded everyone up, uh, had all my kids there, minus my stepson. And we ate, I decided to eat in the car just because I didn't want to eat so early and then be sitting around. Uh, so got there, got transition and getting one thing last year taught me was getting into transition is a whole process in itself at Kona. So what might take five, 10 minutes at kind of a normal Ironman is going to take more like 30 to 40 minutes. So it went pretty smoothly, got into transition, uh, dropped my special needs, made sure my tire pressure was okay, got my bottles on, uh, got out of there, and then just decided that we would just find a nice grassy place to sit and try to relax until it was my time to start lining up. Uh, so how long so, did like you have said, between the... finishing in transition and your race start? Oh, like near, let's see. I think I got out of transition, I want to say by like 545. Oh, and okay. I didn't race till time. seven. Yes, a very long time. Whereas last year, we were, I was one of the first waves and to go off. So waiting around waiting around waiting around you know and just full disclosure i hate waiting around (laughs) that is like to me it's torture it is torture watching all these women go off and you're just still sitting there right it's one way to make a very long day much longer yeah and it's also for me like i'm having racing professionally versus racing age group it's really entirely different as a pro. I used to always say it's not fair to, or it's not productive to compare age group times to pro times. And that's entirely true. It's the dynamics are very different. The race unfolds very differently. And one thing I will say is so finally, I, I get to the corral, no problems there, hop in the water. I knew I would be running into age group women because we are the last wave. I had no, I don't think I could have ever guessed how absolutely congested it was being in this last wave. We started to... I'm not a, I'll never claim to be a great swimmer, but like as a mid-pack professional racer swim, 
you would think that I would be one of the top age group swimmers in my age group. Theoretically, right? Because that's like a 58, 59 minute swim, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm much slower now. Part of that is because I don't, I'm quite lazy. And while I have a certain amount of swim volume, I'm quite lazy compared comparatively to my pro days because I, I think I can get away with it, but I, I had no idea how many women we'd be swimming over. It was so crazy congested. I found some good feet. It felt like we were swimming all over the place to the point where I was kind of like, man, these ladies cannot swim straight. And then I realized that the reason they're swimming all over the place is because we were darting through people. And it was like that from three minutes into the swim all the way to where we exited the water. Uh, I definitely think that made the swim a bit slower. There, there's no no part of that's also I think on me. I, I think I should have positioned myself just wider and taken that route versus we, I went more on the buoy line, Mm -hmm. but that's just how the race kind of unfolded with, with the, the feet I was at, I was on. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to panic. I'm going to commit to just swimming a little bit slower because I have good feet. And the, the, you know, I don't think that two minutes slower on the swim is going to be what makes or breaks this race. Mm-hmm. So what and was so, your, what was your swim split? Uh, I think it was one Oh four, which I'm happy. I didn't see that time when I finished, because I think I, I purposely don't wear a watch on the swim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't see that because I think that would have really bugged me. Whereas, like, I realize in, in, in our age group, the swim across the board was, a, I think, a little bit slower. And I think a big reason was the traffic. Yeah, of course. That we were running into. And what was your swim split in Tulsa for, for reference? Uh, actually, Tulsa was actually, I think, almost exactly that. Last year in Kona was like 102. I will say, Tulsa is notoriously long. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that was kind of also, it's a wetsuit swim and I swim pretty poorly in a wetsuit. I'm making excuses. Maybe <laughs> I just uh, have gotten older and just have really regressed in swimming. Who knows? I'll accept it. It's, I have no one to blame but myself. I uh, right. got it's, to um, the transition. Yep. We're out of the water. We're, we're on, we're on it, land now. Yeah, transition is a zoo. Like it, it there is nowhere I wasn't going to sit down, but, but if I'd wanted to, there was nowhere to sit. So I just grabbed my stuff, got to my bike. Uh I'm in the very last last rack in transition, which is just kind of funny. So be bopping along. It's so congested at the beginning. And this is unlike last year because I was one of the first waves. So it was actually a pretty lonely bike ride last year. Whereas this year, I mean, getting out of across the mount line, I mean, there are just droves of women. I'm thinking, just don't crash. Just get out of here. Ride 
defensively. You know, I didn't get arrow because I was so concerned about someone crashing into me. Uh, do the out and back, no problems. Like I said, super congested. But once I got to the Queen K, it felt like I was passing people all day from being the last wave. But it, I and I never felt like it was dangerous or that I was like worried about running into someone at that point because it just spreads out a little bit more and um kind of just really got into what i think I, uh, like what would be normal iron man watts and i found as the day went on i had to back those off and at first i thought it was a calibration issue which sounds so dumb and it is to not check check my calibration but Considering like how sick I got shortly thereafter, I'm thinking that I probably just was missing five to 10 watts on the day, just fighting something. But I, I just didn't force it when I didn't feel like I could hit my normal watts. I just simply backed it off. So I really... You know, I think that we can get really tied into numbers and you have to be able to make decisions based on how you feel. So a lot of that was perceived exertion and then just really trying to stay as arrow as possible, knowing that I I wasn't putting out the wattage that I I think that I was prepared to for the day. And so and again, for it, reference, what, um, what, what power were you aiming to hold and what did you end up holding? So normalized power for Tulsa, I held 180 Watts. This race, I normalized power. I want to say ended up 172. Okay. Yeah. So Norm you're 10 normalized. Off yeah. So average Watts, I think you take a, a five, five-ish Watts off of that. Um, I'd have to go back and check whatever Strava said, but normalized. Yes. It was about 10% off, which, you know, makes sense now. And, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm a fairly good descender and, um, you know, got out to Javi feeling it was all about like a little bit of damage control. Like, knowing like something I I didn't feel horrible but I definitely didn't have like that feeling of like oh yeah I'm gonna go get it today mm. you know what I mean it was kind of one of those days that like if you were training you would have just been like oh it's a solid training day you know those days I know those days I know them very well yeah <laughs> the blue yeah. collar working it days Yes, exactly. Like, you know, I call them the meat and potatoes days, you know, they're yep. just kind of the substance of what you do. And I think that that ended up kind of being my default, which I think that showed up, my training showed up in that it was just a solid day, mm -hmm. you know, not, not spectacular, but it was solid, you know, and uh, you know, coming back in last year, I really came alive for me in what felt like the last 30 miles, whereas 
this year, the last 30 miles, I just struggled more. I just struggled to stay arrow. I struggled to stay focused. I really got to a hundred miles. I was like, I really want to be off this bike soon. Whereas like last year, I felt like I did a good job building the effort. This year, I felt like I was more surviving the effort. And really, I just thought, I just want to get to the end of this ride and still put out a decent marathon, which I knew I could do if I just really didn't put myself in a big hole. And I feel like that was a day that I'm proud that I successfully did that because it could have very easily gone a different way. Um, yeah, cool. So how was, what some, was your bike split? Um, when you, uh, five, uh, five, 11, five, 11. So still a pretty solid ride. What, what did you ride in Tulsa? Solid do you ride. remember? I, you know, what's funny is I ran, I rode almost nearly identical five eleven, almost okay. to the second. Consistent. Uh, Tulsa, Tulsa does have about a thousand more feet of elevation and Tulsa doesn't quite, it's, there's a lot more turns. It doesn't flow as well as Kona. Mm. Um, so theoretically I thought I would ride 10 minutes faster in Kona than I did in Tulsa independent, you know, you never know. Like if the wind's going 20 miles per hour, obviously not, but like with, with decent winds, I thought that I could. Tulsa's very windy as well. So they tend to be kind of comparable in that that way. Hmm. So it was just a, a a busy swim and then a, a hard, tough ride. How was that? How did that right. affect your your mental state? Like were you were you a bit deflated or did you did you know where you were in terms of racing the other women? I had I had I had no clue where I was. Uh you know, I think one thing I am fortunate about is that I have raced long enough to not let myself just get super deflated. And on the flip side, I don't allow myself to get super elated. I just try to keep an even head and just really try to focus on you know, managing how I'm doing on that day. And on that day, I knew it was like, it wasn't a spectacular day. So I just really tried to keep my mental state positive and just like knowing that like, look, I can, if I feel like this and I can still put a 511 split out, I'm still in this. I I knew I had to be somewhere in the top five. I had a strong suspicion I had to be in the top five and that I could still be competitive and that I am a runner and that I can still run well. All right. Let's talk about the run then. Last last year, you weren't sure if you were even going to finish because of the car. Right. Whereas you had a lot more confidence this this year. Um, yeah. Tell us how it yes. went. So I got off the bike and I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> this isn't good. I don't feel so hot. Uh and another thing I'll say is starting 40 minutes later, an hour after the, the, the pros, you've got to also think we are getting a little more heat. You know, we are getting a little bit more wind while the winds are relatively light. We're still getting them more. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting off the run and I'm like, 
boy, I don't feel spectacular, but just take it mile by mile. And you don't have to run. You're not running six minute miles. You, you don't have to be running Lucy Charles pace. You've just got to manage what you do all the time in training. And that's where my headspace went. And that's what my body did. You know, I had, I kind of, you know, I, I never had, and it, you know, I never felt like I, after going out to on a Lehi and back, I started to feel better. And then I just focused on maintaining that mile in mile out, taking a super pragmatic approach, getting my nutrition in, uh, getting liquids, every aid station, taking my salt and just being super diligent and focusing on that. And, you know, it didn't feel great. It, I hurt, but everyone hurts at that point. And it's just about try, trying to manage that as long as you can. Cause last year I didn't realize I was second all the way to mile 23 and my run mileage was so light going into it. I like, I didn't think I'd make it that far. So I, I ended up walking and I've never really walked in an Ironman and I got passed by someone there. Then I saw my best friend on the queen K who was in the race. And my husband had told her, tell Jessica she's in this place and she's got to stop walking. So she's, she's coming out on the queen K. She's telling me that. And at that point, I now I'm in third. Then I get past at mile 25, and then I'm in fourth. So, you know, off the bike, I was told I was in, uh, I was either in third or fourth place coming off the bike. And I think I might have passed one person in transition, and then I passed someone, some somewhere, and I don't know who she. I didn't know who she was, but I'm just getting updates from friends and family and uh, along the course and then I hear from my husband I think I was about mile five or six that I was five minutes behind four or five minutes behind first place but I was running 30 minutes per mile faster so in my head I started calculating I'm like okay just keep doing this and you will pass her at mile 13 and sure enough, I passed her at mile 13, like on the nose. So in my head, I just thought, okay, you just have to just be super patient and just keep doing this. And I think I ended up with nine or 10 minutes on, on second. And so I, it was just taking it in a very pragmatic approach all day. Oh, very good. Well done and congratulations. So what was oh, your run thanks. split? Uh, I think it was 3.30. I don't know to the nose. This is something I know I should probably know offhand. Uh, but yeah, I just... was, I just, I, like coming in, I really wasn't like, I thought kind of after the bike that my day was kind of shot, like breaking 10 hours. So then I saw a friend, he's like, you're going to break 10 hours. So then I was like, okay, better not dilly daddle here. And then I ended up at 9.57. Ah, sub 10 as well. And I think uh, for reference, you must have run a little bit faster at Tulsa then, because I think I think it was a 9.43 at Tulsa. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I ran, yeah. 
I want to say maybe it was either 318 or 320. I, I, sh I know I should know these things, but I don't really uh, study my splits too much. No, I think from hearing your sort of race recap that uh, I don't find that hard to believe because obviously you're very focused on the, on the process as cliche as that sounds and just how you're feeling and executing to the best of your ability. So um, yeah, I'm just getting the, uh, getting the time splits for the, all the data geeks and just for in oh, interest yes, and reference yes. sake. So for sure you knew you were in first cause you knew you'd passed the other girl at, at 13 miles and then, yeah, you've crossed the line and you've known, known that you've won. Um, how, how does it, how does that kind of feel? Is it, is it a surreal you know, feeling or is it kind of, again, you're just process driven and, you know, put together it, the best it, race it, here? It, it, it was really awesome. And, and I, the thing is, I have a perspective now. And I said this after I won Ironman Tulsa, of course, there's no pros, pros at Ironman Tulsa. When I was professional and I was focusing on 70.3, I had like some really great years, 2010 to 12. And I won my first 70.3 in 2010. I won two in, in 2011. And uh, 2012, I'm on the Rev3 team. So I kind of stepped away from Ironman and really focused on the Rev3 series. Are you familiar with that? Do you remember yeah. that? The Rev3? I've heard of it, yes. Yeah. Okay. And it's not really around anymore. And the thing is, like, these years, it, it came... I don't want to say it came easily. Obviously I worked hard, but you kind of get in this, you know, this sweet spot where, wow, you're, you're winning and everything's going really so well. And the trajectory always seems to be like, you're getting better. And I think, you know, I, I had it in my mind that it would keep that way. And, and the way things worked out, it didn't. I got injured. You know, I I had some, you know, personal things go on that just really distracted from from my racing and training. And and so when I won Tulsa, the last time I had won a pro race was 2011. So you know, and, and it's not to say I, I didn't have good racing. And I also say the level of racing in those years just kept improving, kept improving to now we're like, you know, the fact that I think it was 16 pro women were under nine hours. Uh, the racing across the board, amateur and pros is just so much stronger. So my point is, it's, is understanding that it doesn't, happen that often where you actually achieve exactly what it is that you set out to do and last year after Kona where I got passed by two women in the final miles which I was I'm not complaining about because I was so thrilled to even make the podium to even finish the race was a dream that I set out next year I want to do Kona I want to come into this healthy and I think if I do that I think I can win this so 
to actually like set out and do exactly what you conceived to do that doesn't actually happen all that often you know we get close but how often do we actually do it and that was so exciting and it was so exciting because I had my kids there and I don't know if you read my kind of recap after the race you know I went and watched Kona in 2013 and it's this is right when I was first getting into full Ironman distance and I went by myself and I went with my coach and my 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 twins are boy girl twins and I had told my daughter Gwen at the time she was five years old and I told her well when I qualify for Kona of course you're going to come with me I'm going to bring you guys and I never ended up qualifying so, you know, last year they didn't go because they had school, but with Co- with Kona being pushed back a week, they were on fall break. So to be able to like fulfill that promise 11 years later and to actually win, granted, you know, no, I'm not winning the pro race, but I'm older and it's just a different phase of life. It was so exciting and fulfilling not just for me but our entire family yeah i think that's uh that's a a very touching story and uh, oh, i think thanks. there's been a there's been a couple of sort of full full circle moments in your in your triathlon journey um to date so i think yeah a couple couple more questions from me and then we'll wrap it up the first one has to be you know what are you going to do now um because back in 2017 um you never thought you would be returning to the sport and then you've come and you've done right. I think, four Ironman since then two of which are Kona and you have a Ironman world championship so what's what's the plan for you now in regards to racing have you thought about that yeah I have you know I have a a pretty uh full uh triathlon squad and um I think next year the focus is going to be on the 70.3 distance, which is kind of funny because since I've returned to racing, I have not done anything but Ironman Tulsa and Kona. And, you know, I was like, well, I'm not really a triathlete anymore, but yet somehow I keep doing these triathlons. So I think that the focus is going to be the 70.3 distance in particular with several of my athletes who've qualified for 70.3 worlds. So it's, I think it's going to be a 70.3 distance um, focus with a uh, focus on 70.3 worlds next December. Oh, cool. So over in and who, Taupo in New Zealand, this, that's my side of the world. Yeah, exactly. And I've never been, I've never raced there. I've never raced in Australia or New Zealand. And mm. I think that actually that that's actually always been a better distance for me. Uh, and I like the idea of, of being able to run a little bit faster and shorter, which is kind of more my pedigree and what I've always done my whole life. So that's kind of exciting for me. Mm. Um, and plus just less training. My, I've cleaned the house since we've been home. My, my kids say they enjoy me not training for Ironman. So I think that, you know, I think that that's going to be my focus for a little, for a little while. Yeah, that, that sounds fun. So definitely watch this space. And then I think my final question 
it would be amiss if I don't, if I don't ask this, but do you have some top tips for fellow age groupers, whether that's one, three, five, but you know, when I ask that question, is there anything that you think you can leave to add value to listeners who are predominantly age group triathletes, just like yourself? Uh, yeah, I think that I'm, I'm going to say this because this was very important for me and very important lesson I've had to learn the last three years. So I had the same coach, Kevin Purcell, um, from 2010 to 2020, he died unexpectedly in 2020, not COVID related. So without number one, if a coach is something that you can afford, I highly recommend it. And, and, and do your research and get a coach more than anything that you jive well with personality wise. Um, I've been self-coached since then. And so I've had to really take a step back and be realistic with my training. Now that I didn't have Kevin telling me stop doing stupid things. Because always before I I had him to keep me from myself, right? And so the biggest thing was being realistic with, look, you can't physically and emotionally and mentally do what you used to be able to do or with what your lifestyle supports, whatever that looks like. So for me, that was a reduction in training in particular, a reduction in running. And that really scared me. That was super difficult to even comprehend doing. So my recommendation is be brutally realistic with what you can achieve, what your family, if you have a family and your work actually allows you to not only train, but to recover. That would be my biggest piece of advice. My next biggest is don't get wrapped up in all the, there's so much data that you can dive into. But I think a lot of people fail to nail the basics. Right. And if you don't know what those are, then do research, figure those are out. Understand what perceived exertion is. Understand that what works for you. Right. Because some people it's heart rate and keeping a low heart rate. That doesn't necessarily work for me and how my training approach is. So so understand that. And, and then when you, uh, you know, try to vet coaches, understand what their philosophies are. And, and that's really about knowing your physiology and what, what training methodology works for you. I think those would be my two biggest uh, pieces of, of advice. I think there's um, they're great tips there and a, a good way to end. Um, so yeah, being brutally honest and realistic with yourself Um Yes. In terms of your because capabilities, it, but it, also your time availability and then really nailing nailing the basics and not getting caught up in the data or the numbers too much, but finding out what works for you. 
Yeah. And I think the biggest indicator is, are you getting sick and injured all the time? And if the answer is yes, then it's time to overhaul what you're doing. And that might be a drastic reduction. And for me, it was, but minus getting sick on the flight to Kona, I hadn't been sick for like substantially sick in a year, over a year. And that, that says a lot because my daughter is bringing home a lot of germs, which you can totally understand. Uh, So, Hmm. so, you know, you've got to keep yourself healthy more than anything. Yep. Agreed. I think health, health first, and then you can, you can build your fitness from there and, and chase, chase high performance, which is exactly what you've done. So Jessica, I'm going to take this moment to thank you for coming on and, and sharing all that you did. I think your story is a pretty cool one and quite inspiring. And I'm sure people oh, well, will enjoy you. this because I know I did. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. And uh, all the best with the next chapter. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future guests, please contact us via the Diary of an Age Grouper Instagram page. Alternatively, you can email info at jetcoaching.com.au. Don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. This podcast was born to discuss all things age group triathlon. As an athlete, coach, and fan of the sport, I've always been intrigued with different approaches to training and how to optimize an individual's performance. We will speak to athletes who perform at a high level, as well as those with an interesting story. We will speak to coaches with a vast array of experience and also experts in various fields. We want to sift through what the physiology labs tell us, as well as what we see the pros doing and take the lessons that apply to us. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper.